0: Well, turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 16, and at some point we're going to flip over to Psalm 8, and I want to start in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, and we're going to start with verse 16. And then just be ready to flip over to Psalm 8 right afterwards. First, we'll start with our key verse, John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life." First Chronicles 17:16 says, "Then King David went in and and sat before the Lord, and he said." Who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And then we'll turn over to Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. To silence the foe and the avenger. all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to all of us, opening our ears and our hearts to hear the message of God. In your name we pray, amen. David, as we have heard before, was the king of Israel. And he came to be the king of Israel after Saul had failed, and God went looking for him. We talked about him a little bit when we talked through Samuel, and a little bit when we talked through Kings, And we talk about him again here because Chronicles is really a story of all of Israel from the beginning, from Adam all the way to the end of David's reign. And then 2 Chronicles picks up and talks about Solomon all the way through the end of his reign. And then Ezra and Nehemiah come after that, and those two books actually talk about rebuilding the temple, which was built in 2 Chronicles. And we're going to talk about all of those things a little more in depth. But David had it in his heart and in his mind that he really wanted to worship God for the gifts that he had been given to this point. And so he went to the prophet Nathan and he said, I want to build a temple. I want to build the temple for God. And Nathan said, of course, that sounds like a great idea. And then Nathan got a message from God. And God said, well, I understand where David's going with this, but the truth is I don't want David to build me a temple. David, you see, has been a warrior. And the land of Israel has been in wars and conflict the whole time that he has been the king. And I would like for a peace, time king to build my temple and so nathan go back to david and you tell him that he's not building the temple but that his son solomon who is to be king after him will build my temple and not only will he build the temple but beyond that all of david's line will be blessed and from that line will come the redeemer And so Nathan goes to David, and he tells him, King, God knows where your heart's at. God understands that you want to do this, but he has asked that you not do it. And David's response is the prayer that starts out, Who am I? Who am I, God, that you would Make me king of Israel. Who am I, God, that you would bless my entire lineage? Who am I, God, that you would do this for me, even though the one great thing I want to do for you, I can't do? And it's the same question we can ask. David asked it in this prayer and then he went on to kind of expand it a little bit in this psalm that he wrote. Psalm 8 is a psalm that he wrote and you can see it in here where it says what is mankind that you are mindful of them that David recognizes that not only is he personally blessed and the lineage that he is part of is blessed and there is this redeemer coming but he recognizes that all of mankind has this grace that's been poured out for them. And he asks God in this message, God, why do you care about us? What is it about mankind that you even pay attention to us? The first part of that psalm says, God, you are so magnificent. Even your name Is majestic and I think we can take a few different things from David to understand what it is that God sees in us because you see I don't think it actually is anything that we've done in fact I know it isn't anything that we've done that gives God the opportunity to give us grace. Elsewhere in God's word, it says that God pours out grace on the righteous and the unrighteous. Everything is grace. We, being able to breathe is grace. Getting rain in season and sun in season is grace. Those things are gifts from God that don't come to us because we deserve them, but because God is who God is. But why does God pay attention to us? Well, God made us in his image. We've talked about that before. And God's idea was that we should all be in relationship together. Relationship with God and relationship with each other. That's really the grand idea of scripture is that we are designed to love and worship God and to love each other. And really, if we just got that part right, think about how much better everything would be. (laughs) If you could just like, if everybody would just like do what God says, it would work out so much better. And I'm not talking about like this some long list of do's and don'ts. I'm saying just just love one another. It'd be so much easier. But we get messed up because we have this sort of sinful desire to get what, what's ours first. We want to get what, what we want first. Then maybe we'll think about somebody else. But David's response to what God has given him him all through his life is kind of the response that God is just looking for from all of us. And it's the response we make to grace that changes what grace looks like for us. It's the response we make to the grace that God gives us that changes how the grace impacts us. When we respond like David does with humility, we recognize that we are this and God is this. We are nothing, but God is magnificent. And that's not to say that we don't recognize that we have gifts, Or that we have things to offer? David doesn't say, oh, I'm a terrible shepherd. I'm such a bad king. He doesn't say those things. He knows that he's really good at what he's been gifted to do. God has given him the gifts that make him a good king. That make him a good warrior. That make him able to be those things. So it's not false pride that is humility. Instead, it is the recognition that... Something else, someone else is bigger than you are and has gifted you with those things. And so David says, who am I? As a way of identifying his insignificance in comparison to God's magnificence. And that's humility. The second thing David responds with is obedience. God says, you're not going to build my temple. And David says, okay, I won't build your temple. David still collected a lot of the materials for it. He made the plans for it. He discussed it with his son to make sure he knew exactly what was supposed to happen. But he obeyed. It would have been really easy for him to say, well... Nathan that's really cute that you think God came and talked to you about this but I know I have a really good relationship with God and I know God wants me to build him a temple and I think God should have a temple and I'm gonna do it But he didn't do those things Oh, he had plenty of opportunity to do other things That got him in trouble. But he was obedient when God said no. He said okay. We struggle with that one a little bit sometimes. When God says no, we want to negotiate. We want to to come up with new terms. We want to figure out how we can make God come over to our side. Don't God, you don't understand... I get you're saying no, but really, you just don't get where I'm coming from here, right? Or we go and do it anyway, and everything falls apart, kind of wrecks, crumbles. When our response is obedience, we see God's grace expand for us. We see the blessing expand for us. The blessing of God's presence becomes more real for us because we are obedient. Humility, obedience, and worship. The last thing that David does is worship. He turns his denial of this thing he wants to do and and maybe god's response to him about no don't build the temple is a response to the fact that he knows that david maybe has a little bit of a pride problem coming he knows that david's got this thing going on in his head that maybe isn't such a great thing and so he's afraid or wants to avoid the possibility that if david builds the temple then it becomes david's head becomes this big look Look at what I did. And God's like, hey, let's keep that from happening. David doesn't ask God why he said no, which is an interesting thing. But instead, he turns the no into worship. And he says, God, you've said no. You've given me so much already. And you've promised me more than I could expect. Including the future Redeemer. God, you are magnificent. Who am I? Who am I? This week, I had the privilege of welcoming a grandbaby. It was wonderful and beautiful and so precious and all I can think is what did I do how did I get this who am I that you would give me this gift and the reality is that it's not me but it is a precious gift. And it's that grace, that beauty that turns us to God, and it's how we respond to that graceful moment that reminds us of God's magnificence our insignificance and the grace that makes it possible for us to have a connection. God's made a way for us. And he gave us David as an example of what it looks like when we respond to that way in the way that God intends. God has opened the door through Jesus. Accept the grace that you've been given. Worship the giver of the grace. And be blessed. As we do every week in this series, I remind you of what it looks like to say that the love of God is found in every page of Scripture. What does it mean to say God loves? God loved us enough to create us, to form us from the dust. God loved us enough to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. Oh, but God loved us enough to provide a rescue, a way back, through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. God loved us enough to show us mothers and judges and kings and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. And God loved us enough to show us how evil and wrong mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. God loved us enough to send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. God loved us enough to see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. God loved us enough to raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like him. God loved us enough to want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. God loved us enough to still let us choose our destiny, and God loved us enough to promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world, God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. God's love is expressed to us every week, most tangibly, as we gather at this table. The Son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come. Drink the wine, eat the bread. Know you are loved. God loves you. Go, love the world with him.